You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's going to be our sermon text for this morning. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. Uh, that's where we will be focusing this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Let me read it for us. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as our partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And with the chief shepherd, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help this morning as your word is open. Father, we pray that your spirit would come and fill us with power to understand and perceive the word that is before us from 1 Peter. Father, we pray that as we think about the leadership of the church, particularly here the elders of the church, Father, we pray that you would raise up such men who meet these qualifications and who serve in this capacity for Redemption Church. Father, we thank you for Christ, who is the chief shepherd, or the shepherd of the flock who laid down his life for his sheep. And Father, it's in light of Christ, it's in light of the sacrifice that he's made for us that we have gathered together on this Lord's Day, on this Sunday morning, for the worship and praise of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your help and for your spirit upon us now at this hour. And Lord, may my words be pleasing to your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you all for being here this morning. And again, as we're looking towards the planting of Redemption Church, we're trying to lay a solid foundation. So over the last uh, month about, we've kind of been really focusing on church membership, the nature of it, of covenant membership, what it means to be a member of Christ's body, uh, what it means to train one another for the kingdom and to build one another up. And so we've been really pressing into how every member ought to be a part of the work of discipleship and shaping and forming one another. And so today we kind of turn of our attention to begin to think through the the leadership of the church. Today as we think about elders here from 1 Peter chapter 5. So back back when I was in high school and kind of my early years of college, I, I kind of got this obsession with reading leadership books. I don't know if you, you don't, they really don't have bookstores much anymore, but if you ever went into a bookstore like Barnes and Noble or something, right, you know, there's kind of a, a whole section devoted to, to leadership. It's a hot topic. It's their bestsellers, right? And so kind of late in high school, early college, I really got into reading a lot of these books, particularly by a guy named John Maxwell. And I just remember reading and reading and reading about leadership. And of course, with some age has come a little bit of an experience, not, not too much yet, but I've realized just how much of those leadership books are in many ways just devoid of gospel because they're not all written by Christians, of course. And so there's not this spiritual connection to leadership uh, to a lot of those books. But in a lot of those books, there are a lot of good general revelation, common grace wisdom that accompanies some of those books. And so I've 
I read leadership books now every now and then, but I, I kind of have bypassed that fad in my younger years. I'm not nearly obsessed with them like I, I used to be, but there was always one quote that jumped out at me and kind of stuck with me from this guy named John Maxwell. And this is his quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think with, of course, some exceptions here or there, in general, I think that's a proverb that proves to be true most of the time, that with great leaders in the church who lead faithfully, who lead in accordance with the scriptures, then the church is going to be a, a breeding ground for spiritual growth and maturity and, and, and evangelism. And a church with no leadership or with weak leadership will be a church that tends to flounder in chaos. That tends to be a, a common thing. And, and, but if you have a church, though, that, that has the best leadership in the world, as if there could be anything. But imagine for a second if Jesus himself came back to, to lead a church. You could have the best leader in the world who could lead faithfully in the scriptures but if the church members are not willing to follow his leadership, nor anyone's leadership, then the church will be like a, a mule who has fallen into a ditch and will only get out through repentance, right? So, so again, leadership is important, but there has to be this relationship between the leadership of the church and the membership of the church. There has to be a relationship of, of trust, of humility, and if that's not there, then the church will continue to flounder. So because of these dynamics of leadership in the congregation and the local church, they're so messy, they're, they're so tedious, but they're so very important for the health of the church. And so as we're preparing to found redemption by the grace of God, as we sense his leading, we want to be careful that we, we really carefully study the scriptures on these matters. We want to understand what does the Bible say the leaders of the church ought to be? Who are they to be? And, and how should the membership of the church interact with its leadership? What should be the nature of that relationship there? So with the start of redemption, one of the, the great things about this is, again, everything's so new, so fresh. We are literally, with God's help, trying to, to build this church from the ground up. Everything is new. Everything needs to be thought through freshly. And with that becomes a, an incredible opportunity to begin to really look through the scriptures with fresh eyes and to begin to build ministry and leadership structures from scratch and to do so in a way that is as faithful as scripture as we possibly can be. Because after all, I think we're all in agreement with this, that we don't want to plant redemption in accordance to our vision or, or my vision, right? We want to build it according to what the scriptures say. That's our desire. So, so rather than designing this and coming up with this by ourselves, rather what we should do is press into the Bible because the Bible is the sufficient and only authority on these matters and on every matter concerning the church. So we've got this opportunity, right, to, to study the Bible with a fresh perspective and, of course, being guided along by the Holy Spirit. We have the freedom, the opportunity to put the scriptures into practice without the shackle of bad habits and misguided traditions. So as we turn our attention to the leadership of the church, we're going to do so by looking at the, the only two offices in the church that the New Testament gives us, right? And that's the office of elder and the office of deacon. So today, we're going to talk about the biblical office of elder here from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. And as we study this passage, we want to really listen carefully so we can, again, put it into practice at Redemption Church. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, this is the Apostle Peter and he's giving a charge to the elders of the church to faithfully shepherd the church of God. And as we study this passage together, I've, I've kind of designed the sermon around a series of, of questions and answer, a catechism, if you will. So here are the questions that are going to guide our conversation today. First, we'll ask, who are the elders? What is an elder, right? Who is it? Who are elders? Second, we'll ask, how should elders lead? Third, we will ask, who is qualified to be an elder? Fourth, we will ask, to whom will elders give an account? And fifthly, we'll ask, how should I, as a congregant, as a member of the church, interact with the elders of the church? 
So if you didn't get all those down, it's okay. We're going to go through them one by one. So let's talk about the first one. But before we do, let me give you kind of the sermon in a sentence, the summary, right? Here's what I hope to teach you from this passage. Elders are men of mature Christian character, competent to rightly teach the word of God, and who shepherd Jesus's church. So that's kind of the sermon in a sentence. Elders are, are men of mature Christian character, competent in handling the scriptures, right? Teaching them, uh, guiding the church in accordance with them, and who shepherd, not their church, but Jesus's church, right? So let's, let's talk about that first question, who are elders? And we see this in verse one, and I give you a little answer here on the screen, kind of a summary of the section, right? So elders are the shepherd leaders of the church, who teach the scriptures to the church and exercise spiritual oversight over the congregation. So before we dive into 1 Peter 5, let me just back up a little bit and talk about what, what does the New Testament mean when it talks about elders? Well, what is that word? What is that terminology? It might sound foreign to some of us. So the New Testament uses three words to refer to one position. This is very important if we want to understand what the Bible says on these matters, right? So there are three terms that the Bible uses interchangeably to refer to the same office. So these terms are presbyteros, which refers to, which is translated elder, right? Uh, Episcopos, which is translated as overseer or bishop. And then the third term used is actually the least frequently used, but it's poiamen, which means pastor or, or shepherd. Right? So these three terms, elder, overseer, pastor, are all used throughout the New Testament by the apostles, and they're used interchangeably to refer to the same office. Now, if you miss that, you're going to kind of end up being very confused. So we typically call the office pastor. That's kind of the most common vernacular we use. But, but the New Testament uses other language to refer to that position. Most prominently, the, the, the term elder of the church, right? So let me show you a little bit. One, that I'm not making this up. And two, how, how the apostles tend to use these terms interchangeably. So you can turn there in your Bible, or you can just listen to me read them and write down the reference and look it up later. But the first is from uh, 1 Peter 5 here, right? Look at this passage, and you can see that it's referring to all these terms simultaneously. So if you look at 1 Peter 5, you see Peter, verse 1, exhorting the elders, right? Verse 2, he's commanding them to shepherd and then he's commanding them to exercise oversight. All three of those words there in reference to the same singular position. You also see it in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 7, kind of this uh, swapping out of terminology. So Titus 1, 5 through 7, this is why I, Paul, left you, Titus, and Crete, so that you might put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on as he describes the qualification of an elder, he refers to him as an overseer. Right? So you see that language being swapped out. And Acts chapter 20 is another important passage that talks about this. So in Acts 20 verse 17, Paul is uh, speaking. He called the elders of the church of Ephesus together, the elders coming to him. And he says in verse 28 of Acts 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and all to all the flock. There we see that shepherding imagery, right? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So again, we see that this language, this terminology is often shifted back and forth, but it's all referring to the same office of the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer. So as Peter introduces in chapter five, verse one, he's exhorting the elders, his elders. And notice that again, as we've seen in the New Testament, this position is always referred to in the plural when it comes to a particular local church. So here we see that, that Peter mentions it. He, he's not exhorting an elder, but the elders, right? Similarly, as Paul gathers them in, in Acts from the elders of Ephesians, he's gathering the elders, not a single dude, right? So it's, it's more than one guy shepherding a singular local church. And so as 1 Peter 5.1 opens up for us, um, he's exhorting the elders. And it's interesting, isn't it, that as Peter begins this charge, he kind of builds up to it. So all of verse 1 is kind of building up to the charge in verse 2, where he commands them to shepherd the flock. But look at how he builds it up. Look, 1 Peter says, he says, I'm a fellow elder. 
I'm a fellow elder. Notice the parody upon which Peter places himself with the rest of the elders of the church. Even though he's an apostle, he considers himself a fellow elder. It's interesting, we don't smell a whiff of the odious doctrine of the papacy here to be invented later on in the centuries. Peter's not exhorting himself and say, all right, well, I'm, I'm Peter, right? I'm, I'm the Pope. I'm the vicar of Christ, right? You got to listen to me. No, he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm along with you guys. We're on parity with one another. And so second then, Peter charges them as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Here he does kind of pick up his apostolic authority a little bit and says, hey, I'm exhorting you as one of Jesus's original disciples. I'm an apostle. I've seen the sufferings of Christ. And so he speaks with divine authority on this matter as an apostle. And then thirdly, he sees he exhorts them as fellow Christians who will partake in the glory of Christ to be revealed. So Peter says, hey, I'm a, I'm a fellow believer along with the rest of you. I'm sharing in the glory that's going to come when Christ returns. And so Peter's charge to the elders is grounded in his authority as a Christian, as an elder, isn't as, a, and as an apostle, right? So he's, he's building up to this charge. And this special exhortation is given to the church's elders because these guys have the weight and responsibility who have been entrusted with Christ's church. So that's first kind of who is the elders. Secondly, let's ask that second question, right? How should elders lead? How should elders lead? And, and here's the answer to that question. Elders should lead as selfless examples to the church who sacrifice and love for the good of the church. So look at that verb in verse two, right? He's built it up in verse one and then verse two of chapter five, right? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's a commanding verb there, right? Elders, I'm summoning you. I'm exhorting you. I'm calling you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Elders have a responsibility of shepherding their people. Elders are not responsible for shepherding every Christian, right? But elders have a responsibility of shepherding those that have been entrusted to their care within the local church. They're to care for their own flock, the flock that is among them. So this idea of shepherding, right, is, is a verb. It's, a, it's an image that is just packed full with meaning all throughout the scriptures, right? So Psalm 23, a psalm we all know and love. The Lord is my shepherd, right? And we see that the Lord is our shepherd and he leads us tenderly to green pastures of rest. In Ezekiel 34, which we read at the opening of our service this morning, right? We see that the Lord rebukes the leaders of Israel as wicked shepherds who feed and devour the sheep. And that the Lord says, I, I myself will come and shepherd my people. And of course, in John 10, we see that shepherd arrive in Jesus, right? In John 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So elders in the church are given this same, same calling to shepherd the people of God, packed full with all of that imagery imbued with it from the Old Testament, from Psalm 23, from Ezekiel 34, and many, many others. Elders are called to shepherd like Jesus is a shepherd. They are to be selfless in love and devout in feeding and protecting the people of God. Elders are to be an extension of God's shepherding love for you on this earth. In other words, if you want to, to know how and, and the way God in Christ has shepherded your soul, you ought to, you ought to be able to look to good pastors as an extension of God's love to you here on this world. Elders are to be an extension of that, and they are to reflect and imitate and exhibit the pastoral heart of Christ. This is a, a high and weighty calling. This means that to be an elder in the church, it's a calling to serve. It's a calling to serve, to be a slave, so to speak, to your people, to care for them, to love them, to give up your rights for others. It's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to give. It means that as an elder of the church, you put yourself last for the good of the flock. They're to be selfless in this way. 
I mean, Jesus's greatest in his kingdom and the calling of leadership is so very opposite from the world's definition. All right, listen to Christ's words. You don't have to turn there, but let's listen to Luke chapter 22, verse 24 through 27. This is what Jesus says. A dispute also arose among them, or the disciples, right, as to which was to be regarded as the greatest. And this is what Jesus said to them. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You see, greatness in Christ's kingdom, leadership in Christ's kingdom, does not mean that you're a dictator that gets your own way and that gets all the benefits, but rather it means you put yourself last. You wait the tables. You care for others. Greatness is defined by service in Jesus's kingdom. But this is so very opposite as the world defines greatness, isn't it? I mean, the world values men of power, of authority, men who get things done at any cost. And it's in this world that is elevated and protected men like Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Louis C.K., right? That as the darkness of these revelations have come to light in this last year of abuse and horrors, we've seen just how pervasive men of power will use their authority to prey upon others for their own carnal pleasure. And unfortunately and sadly, it's becoming more and more evident that such tendencies have even infiltrated the church of God. That these are not just problems in, in Hollywood and in Congress, but they're problems within the church too. So those such sinful distortions of leadership and power, they're all too common. The biblical call for the leadership of the church, the biblical call for the church's pastors are not to be predators, but to be servants to the church. Yes, they do wield authority given to them by Christ as those who, as Peter says, must exercise oversight over the church, but they are to do so in such a way from a posture of humility, of joy, of sacrifice and love to the flock. To describe this posture of how elders are to shepherd, look at what Peter does in the text. He provides these three series of juxtaposed phrases to help us understand the, the posture, the manner in which elders are to lead. Look at what he says first. He says, elders are to shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. You can't force a man to be an elder in the church. You don't just put a guy in the slot because there's a slot left and we need a warm body to fill it. A lot of churches go about filling leadership positions, right? That's never should be the case. You don't force a man into eldership. Serving as an elder in the church should never be taken as a sense of some sort of obligatory duty. As Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires, aspires to the office of an elder. It's a good thing. He desires a noble task. You see, it is a good thing to want to be an elder. It is a good thing to aspire to the office of overseer. However, this aspiration to the office must be driven by a, a humble desire to serve, not a prideful pursuit of power. We got to check our motivations. Not every man in the church will have the gifting of teaching that's required of elders, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But I do believe that every man in the congregation ought to aspire to the character of an elder. And so perhaps some of you men here this morning will one day aspire to be an elder at Redemption Church. I pray that is the case, that there are many men, young and old alike, who, who long to serve the church in this sort of capacity. So let me ask you the question, men in particular, what, what is it going to take you to get ready for the office of elder and overseer. 
If you sense this burden and this calling to serve the church in this capacity, what is it going to take? What lingering sin in your life needs to be repented of? What areas of your life still need spiritual growth? What areas of sin do you need to put to death by the power of the Spirit? What fruits of the Spirit do you need to display in your life? What's preventing you from being an elder in the church a couple years from now? Have you ever asked yourself that question? That if you sense God's calling to this office, then that's a calling to begin to prepare to serve the body in this way. So elders should never take on the office under compulsion, but there should be a willing desire, not to power, but to service. Second, look at the other juxtaposition Peter gives, right? He says, elders are to shepherd not for gain, but Eagerly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Nothing angers the Lord like shepherds who devour God's sheep. Just reference Ezekiel 34, as we saw earlier, right? There are a lot of bad, sinful motivations for being an elder. Some men want control, they want power. Others just want praise and influence and prestige. Still others want monetary and financial gain. And such sinful motivations are disqualifying for any man who would long for the office of elder. An elder does not serve to gain anything, but rather an elder serves to give everything. He doesn't serve to boost his own ego. He doesn't serve to line his own pocketbook, but he serves because he loves Christ and because he loves Christ's church. Love and selflessness must be the motivation for any man who would step into this responsibility. And then third juxtaposition that that Peter gives, he says, elders are to shepherd not in a domineering way, but as an example to the flock. If you have to force someone to follow you, then you aren't a leader, (laughs) right? Leadership doesn't come from position. It comes from influence and trust. Pastors do not lead the flock of God with whips and cattle prods. Rather, they lead with the rod of God's word, the staff of God's word. Leadership by aggression, by intimidation, by brute force, this is to be forbidden by the leadership of the church. Pastors must lead with with gentleness, with biblical persuasion, with love. Thus, through the example of godliness exhibited in the lives of the elders, the church should eagerly and joyfully desire to follow them. So how should elders lead? Well, well, the answer is that elders should lead as selfless examples to the flock who sacrifice in love for the good of the church. Now, this leads to the third question, right? Well, who then is qualified to be an elder? And to do that, we're going to Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I invite you to turn there with me. (coughs) But simply put, the answer to this question, elders are men of mature Christian character, respectable in their community, and competent in rightly handling and teaching the scriptures. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, so I can show you these, these lists of qualifications. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, we could spend a whole sermon going through each one of those line by line, item by item, and unpacking what the qualifications of an elder are. But but let's just look at them big picture for today, for time's sake. But what you know what's so fascinating about these qualifications here in 1 Timothy chapter 3? I mean, they're thorough, but there's nothing out of the ordinary about them, is there? 
In fact, D.A. Carson once said the most remarkable thing about these characteristics is that there's nothing remarkable about them. (laughs) In so many ways, this is just what Christian maturity looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian, to live your life in this way. These aren't some special qualifications for for elders, per se, but this is just the way every Christian, man and woman alike, should live their lives in maturity for Jesus. These are, in other words, the qualifications for elders aren't some, some special standard, but rather these are ordinary men who live ordinary Christian lives. What ought to be ordinary Christian lives. The problem is that most of us don't live ordinary Christian lives because we live in sin. So these elders then are to be models of of ordinary Christian maturity. They're to be men of utmost integrity. They're to be men of great character. And character should not be sacrificed simply because a man may have great talents or wield great influence. Character is first. Men who do not qualify in terms of the character qualifications will not and should not serve as an elder in the church. Elders are to be above reproach, Paul says, in terms of godliness and maturity. So the only specific skill that Paul gives us here in the qualifications of what an elder must exhibit is he says he must be able to teach. That's an important phrase. In addition to character, that's the only real key qualifications here that, that, again, some men just won't meet. Now, this doesn't mean that every elder in the church needs to be a preacher, that you need to be able to come up and, and deliver a 45-minute message from God's Word, although if you can, that's wonderful. But, but that doesn't mean that you need to be able to be a public preacher. But what it does mean is that you need to have a, a deep enough understanding of Scripture and of sound doctrine that you can sit down with somebody and teach them that. <laughs> whether it's in a small group, whether it's one-on-one discipleship, whether it's individual counseling, right? Elders lead in accordance with God's Word. And so a man who doesn't know God's word and who can't communicate God's word is a man who will be unable to fulfill the office of elder. It's the only important skill set here that Paul has given us. So we need men who meet these high bar of qualifications, right? That we need men who aspire to live and exhibit the character of Christ, men who are above reproach, who are sober-minded, who are respectable, who are hospitable. We need men who can manage their own households well, the kind of men whose character is the same as in public as it is in private. We need men who are hungry, for sound doctrine, for the pure teaching of the word, who are eager to grow in their knowledge of scripture and who aspire and are gifted to teach it to God's people well. Men, for the the sake of the gospel and for the future health of Redemption Church and for the glory of God, we need you, I need you, to aspire to the qualifications of this office, to flee youthful passions, and to aspire to full manhood in Christ. We need men of great courage who aspire to rise to these qualifications, to this challenge of the office, and to selfishly selfishly and, and sacrificially, right, serve the church of God. So, man, let me ask you that question, right? Are you qualified to be an elder today? And if not, where are your shortcomings? Where is the disconnect between your public and private life? Why aren't you growing and learning in sound doctrine? Do you not know how? Do you need some help? What what is it? So how can you prepare yourself for this office? And let me just encourage you guys in the room, right? You men in particular, that if you aspire to this this office of eldership, then I encourage you to to let me know as soon as possible that, that you have that aspiration and calling so that we can begin to sit down and t- have these conversations about areas where you're weak, areas where you're strong, areas where there, there needs to be growth in your life. And sure, getting ready might mean getting ready for a decade or longer, but get ready nonetheless. Be ready to serve the church in this way. And I hope that many men will aspire to this office. The more elders we can have at Redemption Church, the better off we will be, right? I know some churches like to put a cap, like, all right, we're only going to have 
two or three elders. I, I just think that's ridiculous, isn't it? We need as many men as possible who are qualified, who can help minister to God's people. There's more ministry than one guy can do, let alone two. So, so the more qualified and able and gifted men that the Lord raises up from Redemption Church, man, praise, praise be to God for that. So we pray that the Lord will raise up such men from within redemption to, to aspire to this office. Those are the qualifications, though. And we will set a high bar for those qualifications, and we will push you and encourage you and train you to meet those qualifications. So let's ask this next question here. To whom will elders give an account? And to do this, let's, let's go back to 1 Peter 5, right? Verse 4. And to answer the question for us, elders are under shepherds who operate under the authority of Jesus, the chief shepherd, to whom they must give an account. So elders aren't some separate class of Christians. And we got to be careful not to speak of the office in that way. You know, in many ways, we still kind of hold pastors up on this kind of pedestal as if you're like some, some other you like you've got a better connection to God than me or something like that. And that's just, it's just not true. First and foremost, elders ought to consider themselves a church member, right? I'm a member of this body and desperate need of the ministry of the body as any member would be. So, so elders are just members of the church that the church have recognized and set aside for the leadership of the church. But nevertheless, elders do wield authority in the congregation, because the congregation gives them authority and because Christ has given them authority to lead. They have the responsibility given to them by God of shepherding the entire congregation. And with that accountability comes the authority to exercise that oversight. Things like the vision and the direction of the church and the care of the body. But most importantly, elders are not to be some sort of board of directors, right, to, to supervise the, the administration and business of the church. That's, that's not what elders are, right? Elders are shepherds. You know, you know, we exercise oversight, but we're called to care for people's souls. And so we do that through the teaching and ministry of the word primarily. But, but elders do have authority to exercise oversight, to, to lead the church, but elders are held accountable, right? That should be important. At redemption, all elders will be affirmed by the entire congregation. In addition, should a elder ever prove himself to be disqualified, hopefully the elders will, will handle it by removing the man from eldership. But, but if that ever happens, the church will have the authority to remove any disqualified elder from eldership. So there's going to be accountability from within the congregation as a Baptist church, as a congregational church. You don't need to go to the Southern Baptist Convention to get an elder removed. The church has that authority and responsibility, I would say, of, of making sure it, it protects its confession of faith, it teaches sound doctrine, and ensuring that the men in those positions are qualified and faithfully leading the church. But it's more than just the congregation the elders are accountable to. Elders are accountable to the Lord Jesus himself. And after all, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Isn't that what, what, what Peter says here? Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Right? So Jesus is the, the chief shepherd. All elders in the church are but under shepherds operating underneath the authority of Christ. It's Jesus's authority, not mine, not anyone else's, right? It's Jesus's authority that he gives and stewards to the elders of the church. And so he is the owner of the vineyard. Jesus is the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. I've never done that and never can and never will, right? Jesus is the one who's paid the penalty for our sins. He is the one who owns the flock. He is the owner of it all. And so he then will hold the leaders of the church accountable for the way in which they lead. And elders who lead in a, a way that is faithful and that is honorable, they will be rewarded by Christ. They will receive that unfading crown of glory, right? But elders who are dishonorable will be chastised by Christ. Just look at Ezekiel 34, right? So Peter mentions that every elder in the church should strive to receive the unfading crown of glory. And when Jesus returns, 
the elders in the church, me, myself, right? We, we want to be found faithful in the leadership of Christ's flock. It's his flock. We want to be faithful with what he's entrusted to us. So, so elders share in the desire of every Christian, right, to hear that wonderful phrase in Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? This is what we should aspire. And so because elders are ultimately accountable to Christ, it creates some interesting dynamics sometimes within, between the elders in the congregation. Because at times, elders must make decisions that might not be quote-unquote popular with the church in which they lead. But because they are accountable to Christ, the elders must do what Christ commands them to do in his word, whether the congregation wants them to or not. Elders must stand firm upon the word of God, even if the congregation desires if they just skip those verses. Elders must preach the whole counsel of God, even if the congregation wishes they would just keep their mouth shut and not mess things up. That, that elders must enact discipline in the body, even if the congregation think it unloving to do so. Nevertheless, elders must be faithful. An elder cannot be a yes man, and he cannot be a people pleaser. He must be a man driven by conviction of the inerrancy and infallibility of the word of God, who decides and leads in such a way with a team of men who operate for the good of the body of Christ. They must humbly serve the congregation in love, knowing that every decision, every teaching, they must do everything for the good of the church, even if the congregation doesn't understand it completely, right? You want them to, you want to try to help them to, but you know, it's like this with parenting, right? That there are some decisions I make for my children for their good, even though they have no idea why I'm telling them to do that, right? Don't eat a whole bag of candy in one sitting. You'll get sick, right? Well, I don't know. They're going to test the limits, right? And so, so, but that's what kids need. They need a parent who loves them and who cares for them and who commands them for their good, even though they don't wholly understand it. In a similar way, the relationship between the elders and the church body are that way, that these are men who have been set aside by the church for their wisdom, for their maturity, and they've been set aside to lead. They've been given authority to lead. And there are a lot of conversations and prayer that the elders have that, again, the rest of the congregation isn't always privy to. And there are decisions that are made that some people might have the, the full story behind, but nevertheless, the church should have a disposition of trust. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, so let me, let me get back to, to this point. So this is Jesus's church, right? All elders would be held accountable to Christ himself. Elders do not own the church. We're not owners of the church. We're not owners of anything. As a pastor, sometimes people will say things that you just have to correct. They just aren't quite right all the way, right? So, for example, a lot of people will come up to me and say, you know, man, I really want to come visit your church. With the emphasis being on the you're there, right? I want to visit your church, Justin's church. You're the pastor, it's your church, right? And I always respond back, particularly if I know the person well. No, it's not my church, it's Jesus' church. I'm just, I'm just shepherding it for him until he comes back, right? These are God's people. So we never want to give the impression that the elders own, they're, they're, they're domineering, they're authoritarian. Rather, the, the, the elders are operating underneath the authority of Christ. We give an account for the souls that have been entrusted to our care, and that leads us to the next and final question I want to bring to our attention this morning is how should I interact with the elders? And here's where I hope to get a little bit more practical, right? So if, if our church, if Redemption Church is going to operate with a plurality of elders, a group of men who shepherd and lead the church, how do I, as a, as a member of the congregation, understand my relationship with the elders? What should that look like? And, and to answer that, we look at verse 5, but let me give you the, the answer here in sum. The congregation should joyfully submit and humbly defer to the leadership of the church's elders. All right, so look at verse 5 and what Peter says. He says, the, the congregation is to be subject to the elders, and that they are to do this while being, look at what he says, clothed in humility, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
So this relationship between the elders and the members of the church should be one of trust and submission, knowing that it is commanded by the scriptures for the good of the church body. A congregation that is suspicious and distrusting of the elders in the church will be a dysfunctional church. A congregation that continually doubts and second guesses and hesitates to fellowship the leadership of the congregation, the result is going to be anarchy. The congregation should have the disposition of affirming and trusting their leaders, even if a decision is made that is contrary to their opinion on a particular matter. Now, this doesn't mean that elders are, are perfect. It doesn't mean that there aren't errors in their judgment, but, but this is where the advantage of plurality comes in. If it's just one guy calling the shots, then, then yeah, there's no accountability. There's no other conversations. But the advantage of a plurality is that there's greater wisdom in numbers, that a congregation should be eager to follow men who are men of great Christian character, maturity, and biblical wisdom, knowing that, that, hey, when they made this decision, they've spent countless hours in prayer and in discussion, laboring over the right direction for our church to go. They've, they've considered every detail. They've had all lots of conversations. They've labored over every possibility. They've invested so much of their time. And they're often, again, privy to information. We just don't know as a, as a general congregant. And so I'm going to trust their decision on these matters. Even though I don't fully understand, even though I might not fully agree, I know that these are God's shepherds placed over me for my good and for the good of the church. And so such godliness, character, wisdom, and service, that should be met by a joyful disposition of trust in the church until proven otherwise. So in Hebrews 13, 17, the author of Hebrews instructs the church, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is an important passage, right, on on how the members of the church ought to relate to the elders of the congregation. And Hebrews says it quite firmly, quite strongly, right? You the congregation should submit in trust to the elders, knowing, right, that these are, these are men who are keeping watch over my soul, keeping watch, making sure that I make it to glory, and that they care for me, they love me, they're looking out for me, they're protecting me. And, and the congregation, with a trustful disposition like this, makes shepherding a joy, not a burden. And you want your shepherds to be joyfully shepherding, not groaning as they do it that a congregation should want a joyful group of pastors who lead the flock of God together. And so even though we aren't officially a church yet, right, we're moving that direction, we're we're trying to hopefully covenant together uh, as we approach the fall, but even still, I've been so very encouraged and grateful for all of you here who are exhibiting such a joyful trust in the leadership team of Redemption Church. And again, right now we're operating from this leadership team, uh, but there has been a lot of decisions that have had to be made really, really fast. Some decisions that we barely have time to communicate before a new one needs to be made. That's part of the intensity and gospel chaos of church planting, right? It's just things are moving fast. Things will stabilize eventually, and, and we will rejoice when that happens. But, but again, right now it's chaotic, it's intense, it's exciting, But even still, you have displayed such a joy, such a humility, such an eagerness to display joy and support and enthusiasm, not not just for me, but for the leadership team of the church. And for that, I praise God for that work of grace in our lives together. And so for this season of Redemption Church, we will continue to be led by this founding leadership team until we can establish who those first elders will be. And we're going to give some time before we we sense the Lord's calling in that. We don't want to be hasty in the laying on of hands. We want to give time for men to prove themselves worthy before the congregation for this important office in the church. We want to give you time to watch the lives and the doctrine of the men in Redemption Church. And we pray that, that when the time comes that the Lord will make it crystal clear who those first elders need to be in the church. And of course, it's my hope that that number of elders expands as more and more men meet the qualification and calling of leadership in the church.
So men, may you aspire to this office. May you aspire to serve the body of Christ in this way, right? You don't need to have a seminary degree, but you need to be a man of strong Christian character who loves the Bible, who knows the Bible, and who wants to serve people with the scriptures, right? And congregation, I pray that that you will be eagerly supportive and praying and encouraging the elders of the church. Let it be a joy for them to serve you as those who must give an account. After all, good elders are an extension of Jesus' shepherding love for you. So Christ is the greatest pastor. He has been and he always will be. He is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins. That Jesus took on the weight of our sin. He took on the the just condemnation of God's wrath for sin. And that Jesus was raised in victory. And the church is made up of those who have repented, who have believed in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And we know that Jesus is the good shepherd who not only brings us into the fold, but who keeps us in the fold, knowing that not one of us will be ever plucked from his hand. Jesus cares for us. He sacrifices for us. He pursues us. He loves us. And by the grace of God, may Redemption Church have elders who exhibit the same shepherding love of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Jesus, who is our shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, who has laid down his life for us. Father, we thank you for the redemption, for the forgiveness that we've received in Christ. And Father, we do pray, Lord, for for anyone here this morning who who doesn't know Christ, who haven't received forgiveness of sins, Lord, that, that you would woo them and draw them to Christ, that you would convict them of their sin. And Lord, that in their desperation, they would put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But Father, we pray that as redemption looks towards forming and founding, Father, we pray that we would have a healthy understanding of what the Bible says according to church leadership, particularly the elders of the church. And Father, we pray that by your grace that you would raise up such wonderfully godly and mature men filled with sound biblical wisdom who aspire to serve the church with everything they have. Lord, not in some sort of way to get gained shamefully, to get reputation or some sort of monetary compensation, but Lord, that they would be desirous to serve first and foremost because they love you and they love your people. Father, we pray, Lord, that as Redemption Church continues to get built up and and grow by your spirit, that such men would become clear in our church, and Lord, that the congregation would joyfully, eagerly support the elders of the church to faithfully lead, knowing, Lord, that you have designed your church to flourish when good men of strong Christian character rightly handle the word of God and leadership in the church. Father, we pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.